Fab. Great to be here with you this morning. And um, a bit of a shout out to the tech team because I didn't get my slides in in time on Friday. And mainly because I was having a day off, not because, well, I wouldn't say not because I was slacking, but if you're having a day off, you're slacking, aren't you? Um, so they're very kindly, and amongst all the busyness and stress of this morning, they very kindly got them onto the system for me. And then how on it were they when the gentleman who was leading was worship, his string bust, and they were down with a pair of pliers. I'm kind of tempted to see, you know, throw a few situations to see you know, whether they're down there, you know, like running out of water, whether they're down there with fresh water. But um, yeah, I think people that run uh, this side of stuff often, uh, we just take for granted, don't we? So um, really appreciate all you guys do uh, to make things work so smoothly. You're absolutely brilliant. Very quick uh, book push. Okay, now just to say, don't feel under any pressure to buy any of these resources. I'll find other ways to feed my children, okay? I just don't want to put that pressure on you. It wouldn't, wouldn't be fair, and so I just want to be open and honest. And just to say, if you've come without cash, I can take your card. No, I have got a machine. I'm not just going to take your card and run down the street, but... Um, okay, I'm, I'm, is it okay if I just mention these? I mean, I'm going to do it anyway, so you might as well as say, yeah... I just want it to look like I'm polite, you see. So uh, here's uh, the first book I want to push. All of these books are written uh, by me and form uh, part of the national evangelism vision of Elim, which if you don't know what that is, you can go on the Elim YouTube channel and put it in there and, and it'll bring it up. Um, but essentially, how many of you know that when it comes to people coming to Christ, it's a journey, isn't it? It's not just a one moment and then that's it. And, and those who make a public decision go on a journey as well as those who are on a lengthy journey. It's all a journey, right? And I know it's a bit of a, a buzzword at the moment, but it is true. And it's not only true, it's biblical, actually. And so I really felt, and I don't, I, I don't say these sorts of things very often. Maybe I should, but I don't. I really believe God has given me something to help people living in the UK reach people living in the UK with the gospel. I really, really believe it. And um, it's a language that I genuinely felt the Lord gave me. It's big yes, little yes, healthy maybe, a new framework for evangelism. I'm not going to tell you what the book's about, not mainly because I don't want to take too much time with the book. But if you are really interested about thinking about evangelism and how you can be more effective at sharing your faith, um, please, please buy this this morning. It will really, really help you. I've been quite humbled by how God's taken it and used it in all sorts of different contexts with organizations. So it's, it's just a real blessing. That's the study guide to it. You weren't impressed, were you? <laughs> Feel a little bit disappointed. I mean, I'm not being funny. I've driven all this way. I've left my wife and family at home. Okay. And all you can give me is a... Ooh. I'm going to say it again. The study guide. Thank you. Thank you. Feels a bit forced, but I'm not, you know, don't want to make a thing of it this morning. Okay, so that's, that's that. Um, this is a book about how you can get better at journeying with people of other faiths. They're not our enemy. The devil's our enemy. 
these are people on a journey to discover God and they've, they've got some kind of spiritual fulfillment but they don't know Jesus and therefore they don't know good pro- God properly. And so this is a book about how can we journey with them? What are some top tips? It's looking at the, most of the sort of main religions and cults, about 14 or so uh, around the UK. So that's that one I need to speed up. This is a book about tricky questions. If you're going to journey with anybody, then they're going to have questions. And they're not all trying to trip us up. Some people have genuine questions. This is a starter for 10 to get you going with the most frequently asked ones. Um, then this, this book is what I call um, a healthy maybe level of book. It's about getting people to become open-minded, gently nudging the atheist to consider there could be a God. And for the person that's decided Christianity isn't for them, without really looking into it, that gently nudges them to think it could be relevant to their life. It's not a big gospel explanation. It's a great conversation starter. And if you are thinking about bringing somebody this evening, this would be a good book to buy to give away to them because it's about just getting people to to think it, it could be true. We know it is, but we need to be a little bit more sensitive, don't we? This book here is about giving people something to investigate the Christian faith. It's what I call a little yes level book, helping them to really look into it. It's the gospel unpacked, explored with some great testimonies in there. David Suchet, who who is the greatest ever Inspector Poirot, let me just put it out there. Okay, Bear Grylls models himself on me. Felt awkward, didn't it? Um, And then Alice Cooper, that raises eyebrows. Um, so that's, that's, that's in there as well helps people to explore and then this is a book for people who are really close or have just said what I call a big yes to God these three here have absolutely loads of testimonies in them because I believe in the power of testimony and each one of them has got a way that people can go online to explore and investigate so when you get a brew at the end I'll just be perched here, stage left, as we say in the industry, okay? If you come down there, and um, if you want to know any more information about them, come and see me, but um, get yourself equipped for being an effective witness for Jesus. Okay, that's the book push over and done with. Let's crack on with um, what I want to chat to you about this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's, it's a bit of a dangerous question. But the question is this, how are you? How are you? Now, how many of you know that you can ask that on one day, or somebody can ask you on one day, and you're grand? And somebody can ask you it on another day, and you're not so grand. Is that true, isn't it? Life's a bit up and down, isn't it? And sometimes in our faith, it's a bit up and down as well, if we're all really, really honest. And have you noticed it's become a bit of a, a greeting, particularly in, in the UK? Like, you know, we, you pass people go, how are you? I mean, you don't really want to know, do you? It's just like a greeting, isn't it, almost? Rather than hello. And we normally say things like, oh, I'm not so bad, because we can't bring ourselves to say I'm grand. Because it's just a little bit negative, aren't we? Would you like a cup of tea? Oh, I wouldn't mind one. I mean, I would like one, actually, yeah. But we, we just tend to err a little bit. Have you ever asked somebody how they are in church, and then they've told you? And you're thinking, I wasn't actually wanting to know. 
it was just my customary Sunday morning greeting. Or maybe you're here today and you're waiting for somebody to ask you, how are you? Because you've got a lot you're going to dump on. I share with them, share with them. <laughs> Let's get it right. And if you were to ask me, particularly in lockdown, if you were to ask me, how are you? I'd have been different at different stages. So if you'd have asked me in the first couple of weeks of lockdown, which let's face it, most of us didn't realise it was the first couple of weeks. We thought, this is cushy, get an holiday. Yeah, then when it got to four weeks, thinking, great, four weeks holiday. When it got to three months, I'm thinking, sabbatical. And then it went on. And I'm starting to get a bit emotional. I'm an extrovert. Are you, I don't know if you've picked that up. I, I hide it ever so well. I hide it ever so well. I'm, I, like, I really am. Like, I love being around people. In fact, not only do I love being around people, I need to be around people. I'm not good on my own. If I want to go for a quiet, reflective moment, I'll go to Costa and have a coffee where there's people. But I'm on my own. Me and my skinny Cortado on my own. If you'd have asked me towards the back end of lockdown, how are you? I'd have said to you, it's rubbish, isn't it? I actually cried a bit towards the back end of lockdown because I was feeling bereft of people. So you know and I know one moment we can be doing fantastic and the next minute, we're not doing some fantastic. Well, I'd like to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest, or a number of questions. I'd like you to be honest, but be honest without judging yourself. Be honest without condemning yourself. Be honest without freaking out. Today, how are you? Now, if we're going to look at anything meaningful, and anything that'll bring change, and anything that's going to have eternal significance, if we're going to look at any subject, any topic, we need to go to the place where we find our greatest inspiration, and that is the Bible. And so we're going to turn to the Bible this morning. For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you'll understand what I mean if I say to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. If you're watching this morning online, or if you're here in the building, and you're not quite familiar with the Bible, that's okay. You can do one of two things. You can listen to me read it, or you can type these words into Google, numbers and words, 2 Corinthians, I-A-N-S, 5 colon 11. Hit search and it'll bring it up, okay? Aren't I a modern man referencing Google? Legendary, isn't it? So there you go. Let me read it to you. It's a great passage. It's one of, one of a number of what I call my life passages, which have seriously transformed me. So since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Now, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Look, if we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's love 
compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, it's gone. The new, it's come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God himself was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A moment to pray, if you will. Thank you, Lord, for these incredible words. May, Lord, they transform us. May words that are from Mark and not anointed by you pass to one side. And may the words that your Holy Spirit is whispering to our souls be those that take seed this morning and grow in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three questions. How are you smelling? Bit dangerous to ask on a day like today, isn't it? There might be a lot of links of Frika being sprayed around the place. How are you smelling? Hold that thought for a moment because I'm going somewhere with it. I have two girls. Robin is my oldest girl. And Natalie is my youngest girl. And they're fantastic. They're great characters. But they know how to get from me what they want. Is this normal? I feel it probably is. I would use the word they gang up on me. They would use different words. But it's like this interesting because they know when to ask me for things. So asking me anything before seven o'clock in the morning is not good. I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. I have to smash loads of tea and coffee and get up really early to get myself around. Otherwise, I'm just, I'm not much used, to be honest with you. And so they're going to ask me anything at around seven o'clock. It needs to be accompanied with a cup of tea. You need to get me going. And then they can ask me, but don't ask me anything too deep. My wife wakes up in the morning and wants in-depth discussions. I'm saying, love, I haven't even read every other day with Jesus yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I just need to come around. Give me a break, will you? So like they, they know when to ask me. They know what to ask me for. Because they know if they ask mum certain things, she'll say yes. If they ask me certain things, I'll say yes. And this is what normally happens. They don't burst into the room and with some intellectual discourse as to why I should give them what they're wanting. They don't burst into the room with a kind of dramatic fashion, with a confident and, and kind of bold and persuasive way. 
No, 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 no. I could cope with that if they did that. I could be strong if they did that. No, what they do is they come in and they start saying things like, Daddy, how are you? Daddy, we love you. We love you. Not I, we. They're ganging up in the we. We love you and they'll sit down on my knee and they'll kiss me balding bit. Bald bit. They'll kiss me and then they'll just say, Daddy, you don't, you know, if you don't really want to do this, that's fine. We, we just, no pressure. It's your choice. But, but we just wonder... Well, it doesn't matter what they're going to ask now. I'm going to, I'm going to say, yeah, of course you can. Because I've gone. They've come in. And with their sweetness, they've, they've convinced me that they need what they're asking for. Have a little look at the reading we've just read this morning. Verse 11, really interesting. Say, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade people. We try to persuade men. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade. Now, I don't know what you think about when you're thinking about persuasion. Whether you're thinking about an intellectual debate or cleverly crafted words. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I worked so hard on my communication. You wouldn't believe how hard I work on the content as well as the actual delivery. I spend hours praying and thinking, what's the best way to get this across? I'm not knocking that because I believe in that. It's really important. But when we think about persuasion, we can think almost like a bit bullying if we're not careful, that you've got to kind of do this or apply in a bit of pressure, you know, for you to just kind of tip over the edge. So I'm persuading you. But that's not what this verse says. Now, I don't read uh, Greek. So what I have to do is I have to study people that do. Okay? And now when I did a little bit of research and prep for this talk... I discovered that the Greek word for persuade in the verse that we've just read is actually defined by, as this, by sweetness to convince. Isn't that incredible? Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try by sweetness to convince. See, I've got this little theory, the more confident you are, the more gentle you can be. The more confident you are, the more sensitive you can be. Confidence doesn't always have to work itself out in aggression or, or, or sort of harsh tactics. Uh, for many years, and I've just tried to start doing it again, I prayed this prayer daily. And it's one of those things, are you anything like me? You think, oh, I must do that again. And then you do about once every two months. Is anybody else like me? Just a, a few of us are honest. The rest of you are what I call liars. I'm only joking. And I, 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 I love that thought by sweetness. So I, I just used to pray, Lord, help me leave a little bit of Jesus wherever I go. Well, imagine that. Imagine if we all began to just pray and by, by sweetness convincing, just leaving a little bit of... I'm not about sickly sweetness here. I'm on about just something beautiful that when we've gone, people say, oh, 
what was it about them? Did you, yeah, I felt it, did you feel it? I did feel it. Something about that, I love it when that person's around. Wouldn't that be amazing? It's not necessarily by what we say, though it, it, it certainly, that has an effect on it, but about when we do say how we say it, that there's a sweetness and a gentleness and a, and a loveliness about who we are that begins to nudge people, begins to convince people. At the risk of mixing a metaphor here, I'm going to mix a metaphor. How are you smelling 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession. There's that confidence again in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And that verse holds those two things again in, 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 in tension, doesn't it? Like the confidence, since then we know what it is to feel we try to persuade men. And then it picks up a similar thing here. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession. It's got that kind of confidence, triumphal, but spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. How are you smelling? What's your fragrance? Mix that metaphor, I will. How are you tasting? The French in fine dining have a phrase that's, the, and, and I've tried these, these are lovely. Not that I'm French or fine dine, but I have tried them because it's food. I don't care what type of cuisine it is. I'll have it. But the French have this phrase, a mousse bouche. Don't know if you've ever heard of a moose bouche. The literal translation in English is get your mouth excited. That's what it means. And the idea about the moose bouche is that it's, it's, not a, it's not a starter. It's not like a canopy where you have lots of them. You know, when people wander around with salmon on chopped up rivetas and we go, well, that's posh. Okay. It's, it's not, don't get me wrong, I like those as well. But, it's, but you, the thing about canapes is you, you eat quite a few of them. A moose bouche, you really only have one, but it's so rich. It's, it's so impactful in your mouth that it gets your saliva going and it gets the juices in your stomach ready for the main food. So it's uber, uber, uber rich, but you don't have too much because otherwise people go, oh, I, can't, I can't take any more. When you've been around people and when I've been around people, is there something by us being around them that makes them want to think about God? You see, undeniably, taste and see that the Lord is good. We know that. We know that. But I wonder sometimes, do we put people off thinking about God? Or do we draw people towards thinking about God? How are you smelling? How are you tasting? Second thing, how are you running? A number of years ago, I went to one of these, um, these like greeting card shops. You know, the, you know the ones that sell loads of cheap greeting cards that you normally go to if you've suddenly forgot um, or you're from Yorkshire and you don't want to spend money to you go to. Did anybody see that Tesco's Extra Value Valentine's card a few years ago? It was about 9p. Somehow feels incongruous, doesn't it? Giving somebody a sacrificial love type Valentine's card costs me 9p. 
Every little helps, I suppose. But I was looking through, sorry about that. I was looking through for this card. I can't, I can't remember the context. And, and I, I didn't even know these existed, right? But I saw a birthday card section, a whole section, for boyfriends to girlfriends, and obviously vice versa, girlfriends to boyfriends. I didn't know these existed. Um, I suppose if you're going to have a whole shop that's dedicated to cards, you have to have a wide variety of stuff, so it makes sense. Excuse me, and I picked up one, and uh, I, I was just intrigued, that's all, I was intrigued. And uh, it, it said, I can't remember exactly what it said, but I'll, I'll kind of give you a picture of what it said, and, and you'll, you'll realise my rom- verbal romantic limitations. Okay, but it said something along the lines of, um, uh, my dearest darling, I would climb the highest mountain just to see all but you even as a speck. Some of you are melting now, aren't you? It's the heat. It's the heat. Speck of you in the distance. I feel ill myself now. I would swim the deepest ocean just to be on the same sands as you. That was a weak one, wasn't it? Felt like it's coming downhill. I would, what have we done? We've done mountains, haven't we? We've done sea. What else would there be? Jungles. I would chop through the densest jungle. I'm struggling here. I'm st- <laughs> I know, I know. I would chop through the densest jungle just to hold you in my embrace. It finished well, finished well. And so it went on. Now, I'm not going to attempt to do any more, because as you can see, I'm struggling for three good quality ones. But then he, I opened it up, and I, no word of a lie. On the inside, it said, I'll see you tonight if it's not raining. How good is that? <laughs> it's good, isn't it? He's like on the cover and giving it all that. Give it all that, but when it comes to any mild inconvenience, I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's really easy to walk your talk. Sometimes it's really difficult to walk your talk. And I guess we could all be really good at talking, can't we? I, I, I do that. That's what I do. I'm aware that I can be really good at talking. But I wonder how good Mark is at walking. And I wonder with our faith how much our talk matches our walk. Now, okay, I'm going to set you all free, to be honest. My, if, if my walk matched my talk, I'd be amazing. I'd be amazing, because it doesn't. I'm, I'm a human being, I mess up. It's not excuse. Well, it is excuses, I guess, but you, you're all the same. We're not, we know we're not where we should be. So I'm not here to, to, to rub it in. As my friend said, Jesus didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. So I'm not here to, to rub it in and make you feel bad. I just want to invite you to consider something this morning because I've got a bit of a prayer from this passage. Look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Now, I was reading around a few of these really clever people that we call scholars, and uh, they write stuff about the Bible. They look into all kinds of stuff, and they're, they're really, really good. And one of them suggested that the picture here, which I absolutely love, the picture here is of a fast-running river. For Christ's love compels us. That word compels, the idea is a fast-running river. Now, you've seen, uh, we've all seen the, the, the negative stuff 
that rivers can do. Rivers that look apparently slow and calm can actually be running really, really fast underneath. And uh, I, I'm not a riverologist. That is, that is an almost real word. It's been submitted to become a real word, okay? So you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. I'm no riverologist, a person that studies rivers, for those of you who weren't sure what that was, okay? I'm not into that, but what I do know, a little bit of what I know, is that often you can only see the power of river, rivers when they come up against an obstacle. Sometimes they, they can look really slow on top, but underneath... They can be raging, and they are so powerful. They can, they can move buildings, uh, trucks. You've, well, you've seen in the news, haven't you, that when a river even just bursts its bank, let alone when it's running down, they get carry all sorts of things in their way. It's quite staggering. Oh, Lord Jesus, please so fill me with your love that it's like a fast-running river that picks me up and carries me along, that actually my talk becomes so easy. And my walk becomes so easy because I'm carried along that I won't speak about what I would want to be, but I would speak about where I am. So many times for Christians, it's, everything's around the corner. Have you noticed? Revival's just around the corner. How long is that corner? I mean, I do believe revival is around the corner, but the key thing is we go around to where it is, not pray that it comes around to us. It's just like little extra bit. That's an extra bit in the sermon. I'm not going to preach that or unpack it. That's just an extra bit. Okay, a little bit of extra something for you this morning. But I don't want to be aspirational about the love of Christ. I want the love of Christ to pick me up and to carry me along like a fast running river. It's been estimated how far the Apostle Paul walked in his efforts to spread the gospel. According to the book of Acts, he took three missionary journeys. The, the second of these alone amounted to 3,000 miles. 2,000, which would have been on foot. That's mad, isn't it? We complain if the bus is late, don't we? The average daily distance of a traveller in that time was about 20 miles, with a Roman inn being located every 20 to 25 miles, a little bit like a motorway service station, if you will. The inns were unbelievably filthy, immoral, and bug-infested. Again, a little bit like motorway service stations. <laughs> Paul travelled through snowy mountain passes, and spring floods, he walked through areas famous for harboring robbers and criminals. He braved wild beasts which imperiled every traveller. The travel recorded in Acts 16 alone would have covered 740 miles. That of chapter 15 would be 500 miles. And to think he was not walking his 10,000 steps a day for his Fitbit, he wasn't walking for his own health, but for the spiritual well-being of others. Now, here's the story. Paul's outward walking was purely down to his inward running. He was somebody who'd come to Christ having tried to destroy Christ and eradicate all traces of Jesus. He believed in God. He knew about God. But Jesus was, I needed to get rid of these Christians 
These people that were carried along by the love of Christ. And in doing so, you know the story reasonably well. And if you don't know the story, he was going out to kill some Christians and then he met Jesus. That's a real snapshot. We haven't got a lot of time this morning. Okay? But it had such an impact in him and on him. He was carried along by the love of Christ like a fast-running river. Now, if you read Acts chapter 5, verse 42, without that context, you're going to feel tired. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we make it really boring. We manage to take the most dynamic book on planet Earth and make it look very, very average at best. It's almost a gift. And yet, this Bible is dynamic. It's alive, and that's why when I read it, I try to put a bit of something into it, because it's fantastic. And so what I want to do, is I, I'm just going to read Acts 5.42. I'm going to read it in the way that it impacts me. And that's why I'm going to read it, so I get it right. But also, I'm going to read it fast, because I think there's a pace to this. So I may trip over my words. You may not quite be sure what I'm saying, Okay. But if you want to follow it, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, this is what it says. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. If you actually break that passage down, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's, There's a pace to that, isn't there? There's an immediacy to that. There's a passion to that. And if you were looking at that without the love of Christ carrying them along like a fast-running river, you'd be going, man, I'm shattered just reading that. If we actually took a little glimpse into the early church, if we were able by a time machine to go back to the early church, I think we would be really tired. I think we'd be shattered at just seeing what they did. Do you ever feel like you can't do any more? Do you ever feel like when somebody says, oh, we're going to volunteer on some Saturday mornings, you say, oh, I'm just, I'm, I can't do any more. I get that. I honestly get that. And so I'm, I'm not here to pressurize you because that's not my style. But I wonder whether we need to stop doing some of the things we are doing to make sure we're doing the things that we should be doing, number one. I want to say that because I don't want to br- break anybody by my lack of sensitivity. So please understand that. But I wonder whether maybe if we were doing more because we're carried along by the love of Christ like a fast-running river rather than out of obligation or duty or because nobody else has done it and just end up putting more and more on our shoulders. So we're going down. Oh, Lord, Fill us with your love afresh. I, I, I don't do a lot of um, youth speaking these days because I, I feel a little bit old for that, if I'm really, really honest. Um, but I used to do a lot and in all sorts of different venues. And it didn't matter whether it was a small event or a large event, I found myself often being asked by some young people, but I don't think this is something that's true just to young people. I think it's true of a lot of people that they'd say to me, what, what's my ministry? What's my ministry? And I'd say, well, your ministry is reconciliation. No, 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 what's my ministry? 
Your ministry is reconciliation. No, I'm a, I'm a worship leader, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm an evangelist, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm a children's worker, am I this, am I that, or the other? No, that's your gifting. That's not your ministry. That's your gifting. And if you don't know what your gifting is, here's a starting point. What are you really good at? And what do you enjoy doing? Start there. Because I think God's dead practical. Like, because God knew he was going to use me in speaking when I became a Christian, I've always had the gift of the gab. Do you know what I mean? I've always been okay with standing in front of people. It's not like suddenly I become a Christian and God goes, well, we've got a vacancy for speaking. But, oh, no, you're not very good at talking, are you? Never mind. Brace yourself. Right, gift of the gab now. Go, go preach. I, I think God's really sensible, you know. Like what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. Start there. But understand that whatever we do for the Lord, it's all about reconciliation. He has placed in our hands. The Greek for that literally means he has, the Greek for the, the sentence that says in verse 19, he has committed to us. The Greek for that, forgive me, is he has literally placed in our hands. Why do you place something in somebody's hands? Because you're passing it over to them. When you place something into somebody's hands, you generally let go of it and say, crack on. God has placed in our hands the ministry and message of reconciliation. That's stunning. And then layer on top of that the fact that we are his ambassadors. So wherever we go, whatever we do, God is making his appeal through us. Wow. When I discovered that afresh a few years ago in this passage, um, started to really come alive in me more and more and more. It, that made quite an impact in me. So I do, I want to do stuff, Lord, because I get to, not because I've got to. I'm not there. I want to pray more, not because I get got to, because I get to. Because I'm carried along with your love. I'm an ambassador. I'm carrying this ministry and this message of reconciliation, drawing people to God and people to people. Yeah. It's staggering. How are you running? And then finally, and just really by means of uh, landing um, our thoughts this morning. And then I'm, I don't know whether I'm allowed to do this, Pastor. But you, you know the song that we, there was a song that we sung for the, it might have been the offering one. Yeah, we did sing a few. I wanted to say it to the chap who was leading worship, but then he went and fixed his string. <laughs> and I've forgotten. Yeah. It's a song about God's love in it. It might have been, anyway, I'll leave it with him feel that's really been helpful this morning, don't you? <laughs> Last thing I want to just sort of reflect over with you is how are you looking? How are you looking? Do you know there are three million pounds worth of lost pennies? That's what the Royal Mint suggests. 
three, you know, like down sofas, side of roads. I've decided this time next year I'm going to be a millionaire. I've got three P so far, but it's out there to get, isn't it? It's out there to get. The average person over 50, that's me, will have spent a year looking for lost items. That's madness, isn't it? Now, little, just need to say something before I do this one, ladies, because it could look like I'm being a bit disparaging towards my sisters. And I'm not. All I'm doing, it's the facts. And facts are your friends. <laughs> I did not like that laugh. That freaked me out. That did. I'm going out that way this morning. The average British woman spends 76 hours a year looking for things in her bag. Fair? Yeah, there you go. You find that. You mention the quote, people go, oh, you've been... No, all right, fair. That's fair. How much time is wasted by looking for lost items? We, spend, we waste a lot of time, don't we, in life by looking for lost items. The irony is we could not spend our time any better than looking for the lost. For people who don't know the Lord... It's like the priority of our time. It's not wasted time. It's strategic time well spent. How are you looking? And how are you looking? Are you looking in places that you think, maybe how can they become a Christian? Do you ever find yourself saying that? They could never come to Christ. I've got a friend who to this day is surprised he's a Christian. He was an atheist. And he's not quite sure how it happened. He's got a little YouTube thing called From, from Atheist to Atheist. Because he's sharing his story. Because he's still a little bit shocked. He knows the Lord and he's absolutely passionate about the Lord. And, but he's just a little bit like, he was so vehemently against it. And now he knows the Lord. I love verse 16 in our reading. From now on. We view no one from a worldly point of view. No one from a worldly point of view. How are we looking? Are we prioritizing our time as a church, as individuals, looking for the lost? I'm glad to be preaching in a church this morning that does value reaching out to those that don't know Jesus. And you're sensitive. I love that. Keep being so. But maybe let's, let's look at everybody as potential people to know the Lord. We're going to pray in a few seconds. May I just read one final scripture this morning, which kind of gathers it all up. And then I wonder whether we might just be able to, um, to respond gently in our own hearts this morning. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's a sermon series there, isn't there? But I think it says well what it needs to say. How are you looking?
How are you looking? How are you running? How are you smelling and tasting? Today, right now, in this moment, how are you? Shall we pray? I don't particularly feel it's right to call people out this morning. Um, Thank you for your patience with the hot weather. I know it's quite hot, so God bless you for, for staying focused. But I think it starts, doesn't it, just by the love of Christ consuming us and compelling us like a fast-running river. And I wonder whether maybe just you in your own heart this morning might feel you can say to the Lord, Lord, just move me on like a fast-flowing river with your love. Help me to be so full of your love that that'll be the thing that carries me along because actually the, the love of God as the river of God will be refreshing and nurturing and, and it won't exhaust you. And so, Father, for every single one of us this morning, may we be caught up by the river of your love afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.